message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Church, I'm excited to announce that we do have a special speaker today. She's been involved in our church for the past 12 years on staff, just making incredible things happen. She's an amazing leader, so full of wisdom, and she's head of our VBF uh, women's ministry. Please give it up for Miss Nicole Dickey. Good morning. How are you guys? I want to welcome all of our campuses too. How about we welcome the people that are viewing on the internet while they're on vacation, right? Because doesn't it seem like everybody's on vacation right now? And I'm like, oh, that beach photo looks so pretty, especially knowing the heat, right, of what we get. But we get each other, right? So welcome our Tehachapi campus, our Northwest campus, everybody online. My name is Nicole, and I am so excited to share with you guys today. I was having coffee with a dear friend of mine that I'm actually going to be able to introduce to you in just a couple minutes. But we were having coffee, and this question came up, does God care? And it literally gave me goosebumps. And I knew that this is what God had in store for this Sunday. I think we ask this question multiple ways, right? First of all, it's like, man, my concerns really aren't that major. Like there's starving kids in Africa. So I mean, does God really care that I'm like stressed over finances, but I still have a roof over my head? Like, does God really even care? There's bigger problems in the world. Or you ask it when you feel like your world is really falling apart and your problems are massive. And you go, does God really care? Today we're gonna dig into Genesis 29 and there is a woman we're gonna talk about and her name is Leah. And I am positive that Leah asked this question of does God care? The synopsis of where we're gonna be standing at, what's happened so far is Leah has a sister named Rachel. Leah is the oldest of the two sisters. Now the scriptures tell us that Leah, it says her eyes were weak, she had no sparkle in her eyes, and she had tender eyes. What does that mean? I honestly cannot tell you. I looked through all the scriptures, looked through all the commentaries, there's so much ambigu ambiguity on this word that we really don't know. But what we do know is right after it says, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And so what Rachel was, Leah was not. Rachel was stunning, Leah was not. Now Jacob comes on the scene and he catches the eye of Rachel and he wants to marry Rachel. Laban, Rachel and Leah's father says, fine, you work for me for seven years and I will give you Rachel to marry. So Jacob says, sure. He works for seven years and that time comes at the end of that seven years and he says, where's my Rachel? I'm ready to marry her. And Laban says, okay, you're right. You worked for seven years. And so the wedding festivities happen. The wedding night happens. And Jacob at the morning after the wedding ceremony throws open the covers and there is Leah, not Rachel. Now, you see, who knew all the time that Laban had done a switch? Well, Laban knew, but there was also Leah, who knew? You see, you go, how did this happen? How would he just 
accidentally get the wrong sister. Well, tradition tells us that wedding ceremonies, they would have had really thick veils on that would kind of cover their body, and so they wouldn't really know. And then you went to the wedding ceremony afterwards, and you got really drunk. <laughs> and, you know, and then you really didn't know, okay? Um, and so that next morning when he sees Leah, he didn't know. But who knew? Leah knew. When he said his vows to Rachel, when he thought he was marrying Rachel, she knew she was under that veil the entire time. And so Jacob goes to his father-in-law and basically says, what's the deal? Why did you give me the other daughter? And we jump into Genesis 29, starting verse 26. And this is what Laban says to him. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied, but wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, do you understand that? He was only with Leah for one week. Laban gave him Rachel too. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. Now, you and I do not need to be a marriage counselor to realize there is going to be some problems in this relationship, right? First of all, you want two wives? You guys, I am a wife, and I am enough. I am just going to tell you that. When my husband says, you spent too much at TJ Maxx this month, I know I am enough for him, okay? Now, you may say, hey, wasn't that against God's command to have two wives? Well, this is prior to the law coming into play. So it really wasn't against the law of God. Now, was it God's best? No, because God would have given Adam Eve and Yvette, but he didn't, right? He just gave him Eve. But it still was not God's best. Second, these two wives that you're choosing to have are sisters. You guys got siblings? Do you know the competitive rivalry that happens between siblings? The sister wives? It's not a good idea. On top of that, you're actually going to favor one more than the other. I mean, almost more than favor. It says he loved Rachel. Leah, Leah was just a circumstance gone bad. She wasn't second. We're going to actually see that she was unloved. And perhaps Leah thought, man, my dad doesn't even carry through me into a marriage knowing that I wasn't the one at the hut that Jacob wanted. Jacob evidently doesn't want me. I mean, does anybody care about me? Does, does God care? Well, we're going to find out if he does. Verse 31, still in 29, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. You see, I want us to understand that God saw that she was more than just unloved. She was hated. And because of that, he opened up her womb. But do you see what it says? The Lord saw. The Lord saw, verse 32, so Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Reuben, it means see a son, okay? Boys matter during this realm of society, right? To have a son meant that woman was doing something for her husband. It's just, but God was saying, Leah, I see you. I want to bless you. And she is saying, thank you, God, now my husband will love me. This will fix this problem. And I have to tell you, God's blessings do not always fix our problems. But what does this tell me? Well, God cares by watching every detail. He cares by watching. Do you believe that the Lord is watching over all of the aches of your heart? He sees us. See, there's another woman named Hagar, and she is 15 chapters earlier in Genesis, 
And she, like Leah, was a product of her circumstances where people just took advantage of her. And she goes out into the wilderness and God meets her. And she calls, she calls God her Elroy, the God who sees her. She literally says, Elroy means the God who sees me. She says, God, I have seen, I have seen the God who sees me. That's what the scriptures say. Now the difference between Hagar and Leah is Hagar says, I have seen God and he is seeing me. Leah says, God sees me, now this will be fixed. Her focus isn't on God. But God keeps blessing her because in verse 33, it says, soon she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son and she named him Simeon. For she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and he gave me another son. Simeon literally means God hears. But do you hear the ache in the scripture? God heard that I was unloved. You see, the first time God was looking and saying, oh my dear, you're unloved. This time she's acknowledging the fact that I am unloved, but God heard me. And God is saying, Leah, I hear you. Here's a son. And she is saying, thank you for this blessing, this consolation, because my husband won't love me. Do you see her focus? Her focus is still on the problem. But God was listening to her. She knew that if she could miraculously have two sons, which mattered, that God was listening to her, that her prayers were not falling on deaf ears. And perhaps maybe even at the moment she thought, maybe, maybe God does care. In verse 34, it goes on, it says, then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. His name was Levi. For she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. Levi means companion or joined. What she is saying here is she is saying, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Now for this blessing of a son, now maybe, maybe he can just be a friend to me. Can't Jacob just be joined to me? Just be attached to me a little bit because I've given him three sons? And you know what this tells me? Because through all of these three blessings right in a row, her focus is still on the problem. But what it lets me know about God is that God cares by being patient with us. He is patient with our humanity, right? And, and I get it. I get it. When those aches of life are like so strong, when they're so powerful that you just can't seem to get your mind off of it, and that humanity that keeps coming up, and, but yet God just keeps being patient with me and he keeps being patient with me and he keeps being patient with me. I mean, perhaps you're like, well, I'm not Leah. I'm not in a loveless marriage. And, but let's think about it through another way, those aches and those pains of life. Like when you're buried in bills and you're just like, I cannot get a break. You're never getting the job. Everybody else seems to be happy in their work, but you just can't get the job that you're trying to get through. Maybe you're just trying to live with a job that you absolutely hate or just never getting that break in life. Perhaps it's like health, a constant battle, or, or living with chronic pain that just keeps ear eating at you and eating at you on a day-in, day-out basis. Kids, have you ever ached for a kid who goes off into the world, who wants to live life the hard way, and you just wonder, Lord, are you even listening to me? 
How about anxiety, depression, any kind of mental health that keeps us from living the life that we know we're called to live and it just keeps nagging at us? Those problems that we just can't seem to get over, but God just keeps getting patient with us as we keep just dealing with the problem. The best way I can give you as an analogy is a post-it note. I forgot to bring a post-it note out here, but let's pretend like I have a post-it note in my hand, okay? This post-it note holds my problems, okay? Not really, I'm not gonna put them out there for all you guys to see. But we're gonna pretend like this post-it note holds my problems. Now, I am actually sitting right there in my prayer chair. That is my entryway to my home, and that's where I do my devotions with Jesus. And if that post-it note held my problems of things going on in my own world, it may seem really small to you if I just held up a post-it note. But in my world, in my perspective, as this is my perspective, that post-it note is really big. It's really big. Now that's my front door behind that post-it note. Now the reality of it is, I know that my front door is bigger than that post-it note because I have walked through that front door many, many times. I cannot walk through that post-it note. I mean, sitting here and looking from this perspective, it's not the fact that the post-it note is big and my front door is small. It's the fact that I'm closer to my post-it note than I am my front door. Now let's take it to our analogy with the Lord. There's so many times in life when God seems small and our problems seem big. And it's not the fact that God is small and our problems are big. It's the fact that we are closer to our problems than we are to God. And the only way that we can fix that is by stepping closer to God. Because whatever we are closer to is always going to be bigger. Always going to be bigger. You see, when we look at Leah, we know, it says, she says, God sees her. She knows it. God sees me, but she sees the problem. She acknowledges, she says, God's heard me, but she hears the problem. She knows that God is patient with her, giving her another son, but she lacks the patience because of the consistent problem. The problem is closer to her than her God. And that is what is going on in this moment. But then we have the next verse, 35. It says, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. Judah means praise. Praise. Do you get it? She finally gets it. It's like she put that post-it note and she walked over and she stuck it on that door. And then she took a step back and she goes, it's yours, God. You get it. Let's acknowledge the size of my God. I'm going to tell you, when you walk into praise, when you choose to praise God in the midst of the pain and the hardship, it's not that God changes sizes and he goes from small to big. It's the fact that you get to acknowledge the size of your God, and he's always been big. He's always been big, right? Now, let me show you in this moment how big God is. Judah. Did you guys know Judah is in the lineage of Jesus? that Leah is in the lineage of Jesus, that she gave birth to Judah, and through praising God, Judah is going to, down the lineage, it's gonna come Jesus. Jesus, who is going to give his life for every person who feels abandoned and forgotten and unloved, just like Leah. You see, God had a bigger story out of her life than just the problem that she was facing. And when I look at how big God is, because in this moment, she chose just to praise him, 
There's power in praise. Do you guys believe that? Marilyn Carruthers, he wrote a book called Power in Praise, and this is a quote from this book. He says, we may not understand God's plan or recognize it as good, but when we praise him for it, we release his power to work in the situation for our good. We don't have to recognize that the problem is good. We simply get to praise him and in the midst of the pain, and because of that, we release God's power for our own good. And there's power in the praise. But it didn't change for Leah. What do we do when the problem is still is persistent, even in the midst of the praise? Well, I'm going to introduce to you that dear friend of mine who had coffee with me that sparked this. Her name is Liz Lane. She is a teacher within the women's ministry. She has her master's in counseling, and she's going to come out here and share a little bit about her testimony. So please welcome Liz Lane. I'm listening to Nicole tell that story, and I can't help but remember watching these novellas when I was growing up with my grandma. Just the pure drama of having two sisters wanting the attention of this one person, right? And it, it's just so huge, this story. And as she's talking about it, I'm, we've talked about my story many, many times. I've cried with Nicole, I've laughed with Nicole, She's an incredible human being that just allows you to be where you're at in the moment. And I'm going to let you in to a part of my story that is extremely vulnerable, that is extremely honest, and hard for me to talk about. In fact, for many years, I didn't talk about it at all. When I hear Nicole talking about this story and I read these verses, I can't help but seeing the word inadequacy. Leah feeling less than her sister, unwanted by her husband, and Rachel unable to conceive. At the core, right underneath that foundation of all the drama, both women wanted what the other had, but neither felt good enough. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe in a job, maybe in your marriage, maybe as a parent, maybe you want something so bad or you're praying and you're like, God, what is going on? What is happening? What is taking so long? I've been there. It says there's new studies coming out that one in six people struggle with infertility. And it's diagnosed after one year of actively trying. And my husband and I have been trying not one, not two, not three, not four, but 10 years. My husband and I have not really let people into this side of our story because how do you look people in the eye, especially when everybody is passing you up or it feels like everyone's passing you up in life. All of our friends are having kids. My cousins are having kids. I'm the oldest daughter, grandchild on my dad's side. All of my younger cousins have kids. And you watch them and you're waiting and you're like, okay, and you're happy for them. But right around year five, year six, I really started to feel ill. I started to get very sick. And it was really hard on our marriage because my emotions were crazy. I felt crazy. I felt really sick all the time. Chronic illness and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was diagnosed, I had a surgery with something called endometriosis. 
I won't go into all the details of that, but it's not fun. It's very painful. And they really don't have a lot of information about it, to be honest. It's kind of just this yucky part of my story. And so we knew early on that it was going to be, we didn't really think about it. Again, I was, I was in my master's program. My husband was in his career. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, your doctor's now telling you, hey, if you're going to want to have kids, you might, you're going to need to start. I'm like, thank you. I didn't know, but thank you. <laughs> I wasn't aware that my age was going to make it more difficult, but thank you for reminding me of that. Ten years and as Nicole is talking about this, and as she's sharing this story of Rachel and Leah, it's funny because I feel like both sisters sometimes. If I want to be honest, I allowed the enemy to, I don't want to say it's the enemy, I think it's human nature. Liz, you're not good enough to be a mom. Maybe your past is just too great. Maybe God doesn't trust you with having children. These are the kind of things that I was thinking silently. I never told anybody. Because how do you admit that you're feeling so small? How do you, how do you admit that after every baby shower you leave and you're just, God, when is it going to be my turn? Is it going to be my turn? Right? And again, maybe for you it's not about a baby. Maybe it's about a spouse and you've been praying and you're like, Lord, when is it going to be my turn? When is my loved one going to get saved? God, when are you going to heal me of this pain? When, whatever that looks like, right? We all have that feeling of that God isn't hearing our prayers. And I'm telling you this because I had to come to a point in my walk with the Lord where I had to admit to myself how much this was really affecting me. And I don't have time to go into all of the deep, dark, secret details or the late night crying. or I don't have time for that. But I do have time to show you that after these 10 years going through this, spoil alert, we're still not pregnant and we're still on our journey. But I've learned so much about God's character. And when Nicole and I were talking about this, one of the things that stuck out to me is that God cares by keeping his promises. He showed me that because in Isaiah 26, chapter 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I had to come to a place in my walk with the Lord when I said, God, I either trust you or I don't. Those are my only two options. And I said, God, I do trust you. That's it. Now, not to say that every moment of every day that I've been, thank you, Jesus, home, and I was at the end where God prayed. That, that's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is that every time I had to come to a place when I felt the word is desperate for that longing to be a mother, for that longing to, to say to my husband, guess what, Right? I had to go to that moment and say, Lord, I do trust you, even though it feels so big and long. And the second part, Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I have a choice every single day to either go to the Lord 
and ask him for help, or I can go to something else. I can go to the blogs, I can go to the internet, I can go to a doctor, I can go to, and yes, of course, all of those things can be helpful. But they're not gonna give me that unwavering peace that it said in Isaiah 26, three. That word unwavering means that no matter what the doctor says, whether we have a child or not, right? I'm swaying back and forth because that's what it feels like, whether we have a kid or not, that's not gonna make me fulfilled. It's gonna be part of it and that child would enhance our lives but that is not gonna be my only purpose in life. Won't be to be, it can't be. If I put all of my hopes and my dreams that I was gonna be a mother and it doesn't happen, who am I gonna be? It might not happen and I know people don't like to hear that because I've never doubted that God can. I've always questioned, will he? And that's the scariest part about following the Lord is that it's not about can you, it's will he. God, is this part of my story? Is it or not? John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do you know how hard it is to not be afraid? To, to have a dream that you've imagined from a kid, that's, that's like the, the line, you, you get married, you have kids, right? But the kids part, you're just like, oh, I feel like I'm skipping a step or something. <laughs> you're just like, okay, this is, this is cool, cool. Okay, let's just, let's, you know, when you put on the happy face and you're just like, okay, let's just, we're gonna be fine. Not as the world gives. We still don't know, we're still, and I'm sharing this testimony, this part of my story with you as we're going through it. I don't know how long we're gonna keep going through it and I'm like, Lord, when? When, Lord, have you been there before? We're just like that deep cry, right, of God, what is going on? And I'm reminded of this, Matthew 28, 20. And teaching them, that's you and I, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You and I have the opportunity to every single day go back to the word. Because the truth is, in my heart I know that God cares, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that there has been moments when I said, God, you just feel so mean. You have all of the power you can do and I know you do miracles and I see it happening every single day and I see you moving. God, what is it about me that you're not here? Am I, it just felt mean. And I went to my husband one day and I said, and I'm crying, I mean, it was <laughs> one of the many times, thank goodness I have a patient loving husband. And I went to him and I'm just hysterical, honestly. And I said, it just feels mean. And he said, Liz, you know, who are we to say what's fair? You know, everybody, everybody's going through something. Every single person, every single one of you is going through something. Every one of you. 
And it's so easy, like Nicole said, to have that post-it right up here, right? You're looking at this and you're saying, God, this But unless we step back and see, God, my life is truly good. I, it is. I have amazing friends. I have an amazing family. I have friends that have enough kids <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> and we love them and we have them come to our house and they're running up and down our stairs. And, and I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not minimizing my pain. I'm not minimizing at all. God cares by nudging us towards growth. For these past 10 years, you guys, that time was going to pass either way. Okay, it, it was going to go by. It, it's not like it just stopped because I'm going through this and I'm waiting. No, it's my, ki- my friend's kids. I have friends that are in high school. Their kids are in high school, 10 years old, 5 years old. Four. They're just of all ages, right? We've watched them grow. But as a Christian, if I am not continuously going before the Lord and saying, God, search my heart, because I'll be honest, this experience has brought out a lot of ugly things that I didn't know were there. Some of that included anger, resentment, jealousy, and at times bitterness. That moment that I felt bitter leaving a baby shower, I cried in my car and I said, God, please take this bitterness away. Because I can't imagine a beautiful baby being brought into this world and me feeling bitter towards my friend. I was like, oh, this is the ugliest feeling in the entire world. God, look into my heart. Please, God, remove this bitterness. And he has. And he has. Because to be honest... I really am happy for my friends and family. But I do have to take care of myself. I have to walk this line, and that goes for you too. You have lives, you have jobs, there are things that you're doing. I still had to show up to work every day. That test says negative, you're still not pregnant. Well, I still had to go to work. I still had to get up and I still had to show up for my family and friends. Well, I chose to show up for my family and friends because they deserve that. They deserve that in spite of what I'm going through. And for me, I have to look inside myself and say, Lord, you are greater than what this is. You're bigger than what this is. Your purpose and plan for my life is more than motherhood right now. Right now. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I do want to speak briefly on this word, grief. I had to come to a place where I had to grieve what I thought my life was going to be. And I know that sounds weird to grieve somebody that you've never met, but our road to parenthood isn't going to be an easy one. We may have to do IVF, we may adopt, we may, whatever that looks like, it's going to be a challenge, at least from where we're at right now. I don't know what God is or isn't going to do. But I have a friend who I've called, and she just told me, Liz, just, you have to grieve. I'm not a griever. I'm a push forwarder. That's not a word, but that's what I am. <laughs> push forward. 
do it, get it done, you're gonna be fine. And those are the things that I told myself. But the second that I allowed myself to grieve what I thought was or wasn't going to be, it was like a relief. It was as if God was saying, I know. Liz, I know, and I allowed God to comfort me. And I have to do, allow God to comfort me over and over again because every time I pick up a rock, it's like you imagine like a big old, people have used this analogy of like a bunch of rocks, right? And you know, it was like, I had to pick up the rock, look at Jesus and say, here you go. And I imagine him just smiling and setting it aside. And it's, I bet that rock pile is huge. <laughs> Because there's a lot of babies that I have a lot of baby showers to go to. But it is. It's that picking up. And I feel like Jesus is like, it's okay. Just on the other side of this wall, there's something bigger, Liz. You just don't see it. And we're waiting. But I want to ask you, how long are you willing to stay in your bitterness? How long are you willing to stay in your anger or your resentment? Unforgiveness, it's a cesspool. There's a lot of ugliness that's going to grow and it's going to affect everything in your life. Nicole, I just wanted you to know that when you're talking about Rachel and Leah, I still have a hard time finding where I fit in. Because God isn't giving me a son and I know that doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. But, but you've, you've always, always told me, too, like, like about, about the enemy, enemy right? Mm-hmm. When we ask the question, does, does God care? A lot of times we think God's the only one trying to answer that. But we have an enemy trying to tell you you're not enough. His promises are for everybody else but you. But truly, Liz, this girl, I can tell you for years I have prayed for a baby, and I still will pray for that, but I have seen your life in such a beautiful way and the way you minister to others. Even through the pain I know that you still go through, you are constantly ministering to other women who are going through the same thing or other situations. And God is using your story in huge ways. Thank you for being so real and raw and sharing all of that. I love you, Nicole. Oh, I love you, girl. And if anybody needs prayer after, I'm here to listen. (sighs) She's a great resource to listen. Sometimes I think the world tells us that you shouldn't ask, does God care? Don't ask, because if you ask, you don't have enough faith, you don't really believe, you must not like really believe in the Lord, you shouldn't do that. But can I tell you guys, the disciples asked Jesus a lot of direct questions and he didn't scold them for asking the questions. It's not about asking the questions, but it's about the posture of the heart. Remember, it's it's that idea of either, if I ask God, do you care? With my back to him, like, I don't even wanna know, I already made up my mind. Or do I go take a step towards him and I go, Lord, show me, show me, show me that you care. It's the posture of the heart when we ask the question that matters. And the reality of it is what our hearts crave will never be enough. It will never be enough. That ache and that pain or what you're wanting so bad in life, it will never be enough. When you get it, it will still not be enough because it will never be enough until God is enough. When God becomes enough, Then, then in that moment, even if God does bless you with it or doesn't bless you with it, guess what? You will be okay because he is enough. I do believe that God can give us peace in the longing when he becomes enough. 
Like I see the peace in Liz. When God is enough, there is peace. It doesn't make the longing go away, but it allows us to deal with it on a day in, day out basis with God as the focus. I have to admit that God knows best. I cannot tell you why sometimes God will work and sometimes he won't. I can't tell you why he didn't make Jacob love Leah. But I can tell you what he thought was best for Leah was to continually blessing her with sons, blessing her with the lineage of Jesus, bringing meaning and purpose in her life that was bigger than she could ever fathom or think of. He thought that was best for her. But let's revisit the story of Leah, okay? Genesis 49, verse 29, it says, then he gave these instructions. This is Jacob on his deathbed. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre and Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. What does that mean? Well, we, the scripture tells that Rachel died early at the age of 44. Jacob lived to 147 years. All we know is that Leah died before Jacob. There is a big probability that Leah lived many, many years as the only wife of Jacob. And here she is being compared to Rachel, or sorry, to Rebecca and Sarah, the beloved wives of Abraham and Isaac, the matriarchs of the family. Was she loved? Uh, guys, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask her. But here's what I know. I don't know. But I do know she was respected. She was honored. That there was so much care for her to make sure she, would, she was buried in a place of honor with all the matriarchs of the family. And that was done by Jacob himself. You see, sometimes prayers aren't answered on this side of heaven, and I can't tell you why. Sometimes they are, and we get to stand in beautiful awe of God. But here's what I promise you. He can be trusted. That God can be trusted. That his promises are for you, and that when you draw near to him, that he will draw near to us. That's a promise. When you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. How do we draw near to the Lord? Well, it's, it's putting down that post-it note of a problem, and it's going to God in prayer and worship. Did you guys know there's a prayer and worship night tonight at 6 p.m. in Station 316? If you've got something nagging on you today that you're like, oh man, Lord, how do I deal with this? I just, I'm tired of living in this agony. You go tonight. They're gonna teach you how to walk through that with prayer and worship. Come to the altar, be real and raw. Talk to somebody about what's really going on. I will tell you that the promises of God only lose their power when God becomes small in our eyes. That's it. When God becomes small, the power, the power of the promises looks small. When God becomes big, his, the power of his promises become big. Get closer with the Lord. Now I'm going to end you in with today with the shortest verse in the Bible. You know what it is? Well, Lazarus. Lazarus died. In John 11, he was the brother of Mary and Martha. The Mary and Martha we hear about in the scriptures. But he was also Jesus' bestie. And Jesus heard that Lazarus was dead and he literally told his disciples, I'm gonna go raise him from the dead. Martha goes running to him and he says, yeah, I'm here to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he walks into the town and there is with, with Martha and there is Mary and there is Martha and there is the whole town and they are weeping over Lazarus. And do you know what Jesus did in that moment? 
Literally, it says in John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. His intentions were not a secret. He knew exactly what the outcome was going to be, but what did he do? He just wept with them. And how many of us need to know today that those aches that just are nagging at us, that he weeps with you? You are not alone in your tears and your ache. But see, Mary and Martha in that town had to be real and raw with Jesus. They couldn't hide it. You want him to weep with you. You got to be real. You got to be raw. You got to find other community who will walk with you through it. I have wept with my friend Liz because I have walked with her through this. Find somebody that loves the Lord that will walk with you through this and they will weep with you just as Jesus does. He doesn't always take away life stings. That's part of walking through a fallen world. He doesn't always heal on this side of heaven. I can't explain to you why. But I can tell you this, that he has prepared a place for us where life stings cannot touch you. And that is because he cares. That God gave his one and only son, that that one and only son voluntarily gave his one and only life so that we could be in a perfect place where nothing could hurt you. And that is because of pure care. Does God care? Yes. Yes, he cares for you. And if you still want to know the answer to this question, you go to him and you ask him. You come up here for prayer after service. You find somebody to walk through this with you. And I promise you, just a promise from God, when you come near to him, he will draw near to you and he will meet you. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we thank you, God. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you watch over us and you listen to us and that you are patient to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you keep your promises. Thank you, Jesus, that you are way more concerned with our comfort or with our character than our comfort and you are molding us into the women and men we need to be by nudging us towards growth. We love you, Lord. We do pray over the aches and the pains that my brothers and sisters feel here today. We pray right now that they will not walk through them alone and that you will meet everybody at the point of that need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys, have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our love.